Music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and joining us on the show this week is award-winning writer, actor, and director Carly Heffernan talking about her latest project called She the People that she's bringing to Montreal's Just for Laughs Festival. We also welcome Tim Chasen, lead singer of the East Coast Celtic band The East Pointers chatting about their career and latest release called Wintergreen. Our music editor Sharon Hyland stops by talking about Nicki Minaj's socially conscious decision. And we hear new music from Genevieve Fisher, Brandy and Daniel Caesar and Ed Sheeran. Carly Heffernan became the youngest resident director at Second City in Toronto when she directed the main stage hit Come What Mayhem. Carly has a ton of credits, including writing for The Irrelevant Show, George Strombolopoulos Tonight, and Canadian Air Force, just to name a few. And we are very excited to talk to her. Carly, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Thank you so much for having me. When did you figure out that being in enter- entertainment was a, a life's path for you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would say in university, I went to uh, Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. And at first, I um, was going to be a teacher and had applied to Teachers College in um, British Columbia at UBC. But I had one uh, professor who basically kind of called me into her office and she said, you know, I think you should go try it. I was like, what's it? She <laughs> 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 said, you know, um, she said, I think you should go try acting and, and being in the entertainment industry. So I, I said, okay, I, I will. I moved to Toronto and, and honestly, I, I knock on wood, I was very lucky to find work right away. And then I just kept working. Oh my God, that's awesome. Now, are you from Toronto? Yeah. I am from an incredibly tiny town called Codrington, Ontario in southeastern Ontario. Population of about ooh two hundred. Oh my god, that's awesome! Where is that even near? Yeah. Like, I feel like I should know where that is. It near like I don't okay. know Alexandria, well, I, Ottawa. I feel like I have to go like three steps. So it's near Brighton, Ontario, and then Brighton, Ontario is near Trenton, Ontario, and then Trenton, Ontario is near Belleville, Ontario, and then Belleville is near Kingston. <laughs> Got it. As soon as you said Trenton, I knew uh, I knew where we're happening. And is it wrong that I kind of know about Trenton because of that serial killer guy? From like a couple you years ago. <laughs> we all need a claim to fame and we've got ours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. It is ours. Oh my I God. I feel like all towns have a murderer, to be honest. I mean, that's a terrible outlook on the world, but I think if you look deep enough into every small town, there was a murderer at one point. Oh, I feel like it. And for some reason, I guess like a lot of us Canadians were compelled by his story because he was so smart, because he had, you know, gone to these upper echelons of his field and then he's this creeper. It's, uh, it's oh, crazy. Oh, 100%. And I remember from that one, I keep remembering the interviews of like his, his partner, his wife, and her, you know, sort of in that vein of, I had no idea, and I had no idea. And now every once in a while, um, if my husband does anything that bothers me, I go, just so you know, if anyone ever interviews me that you're a murderer, I'll say, yep, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> It all makes sense now. <laughs> oh, my God. Nothing like throwing him under the bus. That's great. Right. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, so you so you moved to Toronto, and were you daunted at all by that prospect? of? Because like, I know for a lot of people, especially if we have a lot of people listening that are not from Canada, but of course Toronto is, is huge here, and it's kind of like the L.A. or New York of Canada. So was it daunting for you? Oh, absolutely. Just, just the sheer size of it, coming from such a small town. And then uh, I thought Kingston was huge. I really did when I was at Queen's University. I thought it was massive. Um, and you have, being a university town, you have that huge influx uh, du- during the school year. And then to move to Toronto, just the sheer size of it was so daunting at first. But the comedy scene itself in Toronto is actually quite intimate. And so, you know, it just came from taking classes at the Second City and at Bad Dog Theatre and 
getting to be a part of shows at Comedy Bar. Then I sort of just got brought into that whole community, and it's such a warm and inviting community that it just made everything so much easier. I'm going to come back to the warm and inviting community for just a sec, but or in just yeah. a sec, I should say, but I do want to rewind a little bit because I wanted to ask you, you said that it was one of your university teachers that said you should go do this, go try this, go be in entertainment. What were you doing as a kid that you think uh, made you exhibit these, these traits? Oh, sure. I mean, definitely class clown was thrown around a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, anybody who uh, develops a unique habit of humor as a defense mechanism, yep. <laughs> which I think a lot, a lot of us comedians do, I think she really, she really just thought that I had the energy and also determination to actually do it. I, I hope that she also thought there was a bit of talent in there as well. But honestly, talent is like the last thing you need in this industry. It's determination and luck and timing. Those really come into play. Talk to us about your that tight-knit community, because I remember I'm a, a Ryerson grad, and so I know yeah, that, uh, yes, yeah, so I know that Second City is not that far away from, from where I hung out for four years, and uh, it's funny, though, like, when you're in your little bubble, you're in your little bubble, so now that you're kind of in this bubble, uh, do you find it, it, it welcoming for, let's say, people nowadays to, to get into the industry, or is it tougher because so many people are vying for, you know, not a lot of spots? That's a great question, because honestly, I do feel like I came in at this opportune moment where um, because of the skills that I had from uh, a theater degree from Queens, it was like, oh, okay, she knows how to be on stage. And she seems to have a sort of natural comedic timing and and charm. And, And I found my trajectory to go quite quickly. I think it's so great now that the community has really blown up. There's so many more people trying improv, trying stand up, trying sketch, which I think is amazing because we're also getting unique voices that we haven't heard before traditionally in the comedy scene. But I do think you're right that it's a little bit harder to stand out from the crowd now. Um, But I think for me personally, it's still warm and inviting. Um, (laughs) And and I think that's such a bonus. And I think the bonus of these unique, diverse voices that we haven't had before outweighs the like, got to try a bit harder to get uh, to get the old spotlight on me. Hanging out with us on The Kelly Alexander Show is award-winning writer, actor, and director Carly Heffernan. Make sure you uh, hit up her website uh, for all of her social media handles, and it's very simple, carlyheffernan.ca. Carly, I have to give you a shout-out that you actually have a .ca. Not many people go with that, so that's hot. That's good. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so Canadian. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about, I know um, you said it it wasn't, like, obviously there was challenges, I'm sure, to get where you are, but to get into Second City, because, like, I think for those of us who grew up with knowing those two words put together, it's like got lights and and pizzazz around it. So how did you even get in there? That was a great question. Thank you. I I was doing a show actually at the Tarragon Theater and I went with some of my castmates. It was like just a bonding night after rehearsal and I saw Facebook of Revelations. That's the first show I saw live. And I was absolutely just blown away and enthralled. And I thought everyone was so amazing and so talented. But I was also young enough that I was cocky and thought, oh, I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to their website and I saw that they were having auditions for their conservatory program. And so I just went down. Literally, I think it was like two or three days later, I went down and auditioned for that program. And then I got hired to their touring company to basically just like right at the end of doing that program. So I was. So incredibly lucky. Timing, luck, hard work. Ooh, it all came together for me. That's fantastic. That's awesome. That's such a great story. Now, talk to us, too, about being a part of this very famous and infamous uh, company, because I think, again, for so many people, it's like it's like the jack-in-the-box. You're not exactly sure what's going on in there. 
represent so many times, you know, um, we have sort of audience members on both ends of the spectrum, I think. Um, and so, and even within our own families, I find that I'll have some cousins that are like, oh my gosh, you work for Second City. That's amazing. Oh, I loved SCTV. Oh my gosh, Gilda Radner, Catherine O'Hara is my hero. Oh my gosh, John Candy, all these amazing alum that have come out of it. And then I'll also have some family that are like, sorry, what do you do? Is it stand up? <laughs> Is it, <laughs> is it like carrot top or like, no, what, and what's, no, absolutely not. Um, That's awesome. So, so there really are both ends of it. I, I say the thing I love the most are the, I, I do love a lot of the stories of the past. We were actually recently just doing a bit of a promo um, in Young and Dundas Square and this amazing couple came up and they told us how they were actually married on the stage at, at our older theater, our theater before at the Fire Hall Theater. And I thought that was cool and I remember being on main stage and every once in a while we would have someone who wanted to propose during our improv set and so we would set it all up and those moments are incredibly magical because there is no other theater in the world that has a relationship with its audience like Second City and it's so so special. Now talk to us about uh, your latest project She the People give us a lowdown on what it's all about. Absolutely. She the people, it takes a look at what it is to be a woman today. You know, it looks at the good, it looks at the bad, and especially it looks at the very, very funny aspects of being a woman in 2019. Um, so we're looking at microaggressions that we face every day from being talked over in meetings or being judged for what we wear to macroaggressions, things that you wouldn't think you could put into a comedy show. The disbelief of assault victims, that's something that we do talk about in this show. So we do go there. And then we also have, of course, just incredibly relatable and recognizable situations. The fact that we all will inevitably turn into our mothers. It cannot be helped. It's going to happen. I see it happening every single day when I'm humming while tidying. It's just going to happen. <laughs> now, how? where did the idea for this come along, the She the People? That's a great idea. I give full credit to our owner, Andrew Alexander. He was feeling particularly inspired. Um, I mean, the timing of it was right. Like when he had the idea to do an all-female sketch review at Second City, we were right on the cusp of the Me Too movement. So I think everybody could feel this sort of empowering simmering that was about to come, this female empowerment. Also had the opportunity to check out um, an amazing all-female sketch troupe, also Canadians, also SC alum, um, Closed. And I think just by sort of the tone of the world around him, and by it was, oh yeah, this needs to happen. There's so much, there's so much material right now from a female POV that we've got to get it on our stage. So I had just directed my first main stage show, and we happen to have a lot of female centric material in that show. So he kind of just thought, well, this seems to go hand in hand. And we, um, uh, and he called me out. Oh, you can hear my dog in the background. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> he loves the show. It's his favorite show. Uh, he's a huge ally. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So anything, anyways, everything sort of came together. And uh, he put together a writer's room. And then um, we put together our first reiteration of She's the People in Chicago in 2017. That's fantastic. Now, talk to us a little bit, because, again, I, I think sometimes people don't realize how much work goes into something like this. Because I can even just tell you when I'm doing my regular radio show, I do about two hours of prep before I even get on the air. And then I keep prepping as I'm on the air. And so, but all to sound like it's no big deal when I'm actually cracking the mic. So so talk to us like about, (laughs) because I'm sure people are like, ah, that's so great. And they don't realize how many hours and pulling out your teeth like you've been trying to do to get this on stage. 100% because... Inevitably, if you put together a great show, it will look super natural and it will look super easy for the uh, stage for performing it. 
But the writing itself, the coming together in a room, that takes weeks. Hey, what do you want to put on stage? Go away. Let's write it. We also at Second City, we always test our material out in front of a live audience. That's just part of our Second City process, and it's such an integral part to us. That takes weeks upon weeks as well. This is a show that also, it changes every time it comes back, and, and especially when it goes to new cities. So that takes, you know, rehearsal time with your performers as well to make all those changes to make sure that it's well suited to the audience and the specific location that we're in for that particular run. Oh, it takes the first reiteration probably took months upon months, probably, yeah, probably six months. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And how many women were you putting this together? Initially, our, our writer's room was four of us, and then we had an amazing workshop cast of six actors. They were amazing, loved them, um, as well as, you know, we have a musical director because we have amazing songs and there's amazing sound design in the show, um, as well as our musical director acts as our vocal director as well, and our stage manager. And then, to be honest, we also have an amazing team of producers who work with us and, and even all the way to our customer service reps, so it really takes a village to get a show up. When you are coming to Montreal, I guess my first question about Montreal is, have you been here before? Like, do you have an affinity for our city? Yeah, we love Montreal. Um, we have all of us, I feel, at one point in our lives came to party in Montreal. That's <laughs> Montreal. We all came when we were about 18. <laughs> we were like, party down in Montreal for sure. Um, I love Montreal. It had been a while since I was there, but I was uh, lucky enough to go for the JFL press conference and uh, get reacquainted with it. I love it. What a beautiful city. What a beautiful, beautiful city. And what a cultural hub. There's always such amazing music happening, such amazing visual art, such amazing dance, dance rather, and such amazing comedy. Yeah, we couldn't be more excited to be there. Right now, I'll say that the cast is all they have um, uh, a thread going, and a lot of it is figuring out what restaurants they're going to eat at. Everyone's <laughs> very excited to eat in Montreal. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. And and so make sure you brought you have, like, stretchy pants so that... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everyone will be in head-to-toe spandex for the show. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I understand in reading some of the press material that uh, you are going to poke fun at Montreal. And I will say this, because I've lived in both cities, and, and you know, Toronto to me is a second home, and I, I love it very much, but obviously Montreal is where I'm from. So, uh, you know, there, there's that whole angle. Uh, I've poked fun at either city, depending on where I've lived. And so uh, how much fun are you guys having getting ready to poke some fun at, at uh, us Putin heads? Oh, my gosh. We're having so much fun. We, because, again, it's always coming from a place of love. Um, we say, we're not going to poke fun at you. We're going to poke fun with you. Um, and always punching up, always punching up, never punching down. So we're having a lot of fun with that, especially in looking at some of our scenes. We've actually put in a couple of scenes just for Montreal that we feel will really connect with that audience. And for us in particular, because we do have that Second City style where we do improv. And we part of that is allowing the audience uh, to participate in some of our scenes. You know, we will be asking audience members to sometimes even come up on stage. And so that for us is such a fun part of it to see, okay, what's, what's a Montreal audience member add to this scene? What's their flavor? Uh, that's, we're just so excited to, to learn and get to know this Montreal audience. And what was it like for you to be asked to be a part of GFL? Because Just for Laughs is such a huge um, Mm -hmm. entity, I would say, around the world. Like a lot of um, Americans even break up here uh, because they've had a successful run at Just for Laughs. So what does Just for Laughs mean for you? Honestly, it feels like a rite of passage as a comedian. And so it really does, as cheesy as it can sound, it really does feel like an honor for us. 
Um, it's exactly as you say. Some of the biggest names in comedy are at this festival, and some of what will become the biggest names will break at this festival and have in the past. So for us, um, it's such, such an honor and such a treat to be there. And we are always looking to get more marginalized voices in big festivals like JFL. So to come in as this sort of all-female mega voice, that makes us feel very proud as well. And when it comes to audience, like, you know, we love to laugh here in Montreal, and I think that we are a great support system for a lot of comedians and, and where they're headed. Um, who are you hoping is going to be in the audience? Do you hope there's going to be a lot of guys sitting there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I hope bachelor parties come. That's my favorite. <laughs> We're like <laughs> big, like huge recreational rugby men's teams. That's who I want. <laughs> because honestly, I always describe this show as it is a show by women, but it is for everyone. And we, we always look out into our audience every night when we're performing and we see a great mix of audience members from, from all sides of the gender spectrum. Um, and everybody has a great time because these characters in these situations, they are living in universal truths. And so, you know, yeah, I, I would say a male identifying audience member might learn a little something or two that he might not have thought of before the show, but he's going to have a great time and laugh while he's doing it. Now, for Carly herself, what goals do you have for you coming up, um, you know, after this situation is over? I'm not sure if you're touring the show other places, but, like, do you have specific goals that you want to accomplish in the next, like, 18 months? Yeah, absolutely. Also, I love the idea of 18 months. I was like, that's, that's two children if yeah. that's what I wanted. But I don't. That's not the goal. Please don't tell anyone that's the goal because it's not. I totally just want to get this show and its messaging out to more places. So it looks like we're going to be going to Edmonton as well. It looks like we're going to be doing um, a run with Mervish in 2020. The more places that we can get this show, the better. We're actually taking a version to Washington, D.C., which is a city that I think definitely could use this. Um, so that's super Super, super exciting. Getting the messaging out over the next exactly 18 months is exactly what I want to do. Perfect. And talk to us a little bit, too, because you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the U.S. And do you yeah. have, like, goals where, because, um, I mean, I think you can do well, and you're already doing very well here in Canada, but do you have that, like, thing where it's like, I got to go to New York, I got to go to Chicago, or I got to go to L.A. and, and see what happens? Um, that's so funny to me. Yeah, um, I love Canada. I think it's probably why I have that website. Ca. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't particularly have that. I'll say that um, I, I enjoy. I enjoy every audience that so far I've been to, and so I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of Chicago audiences, and they're great. They love comedy. Um, but I don't have a huge like Los Angeles Hollywood streak in me. I, I do have to be honest about that. I really love the work that we do here, um, especially at Second City Toronto. Um, and as long as I can keep doing that work, I would be more than content to stay in good old Canada. Perfect. Well, I love that answer. And you rock and you are welcome back on the show anytime. So thanks so much for doing this. Oh, my gosh. Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. That is uh, award-winning writer, actor, and director Carly Heffernan. Check out her website for all of her social media handles, carlyheffernan.ca. Like us on Facebook, Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us now on the Kelly Alexander Show, our music editor, Sharon Hyland, and we always have great things to discuss. And today we have another fantastic topic, Sharon. Fantastic. Uh, nice it, and light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one actually, it's weird because I have kind of two opinions about it, but I'll explain what's going on and then let you say your piece. So first of all, Thank uh, you. you're... <laughs> 
<laughs> so first of all, Nicki Minaj uh, pulled out of performing at a festival in Saudi Arabia after being encouraged, and I put that in brackets, by mm-hmm. protesters, including the Human Rights Foundation and the LGBTQ uh, community, uh, because of that country's restrictive laws. So Nicki released a statement saying that she has educated herself on the situation, and because of her support of the rights of women, the LGBTQ community, and freedom of expression, that she could not go ahead and perform. So what's your take on the entire situation? I think I probably have the uh, same two-sided look at it. Um, But I can appreciate that. uh, I like that she said after careful reflection Mm -hmm. that she decided to no longer move forward with the scheduled show. Um, I think probably the kind of show that she does, uh, I don't know, I think that I would in an extreme case scenario, if she's actually carefully reflected, as she's indicated, that there's a, an element of her possibly being in danger. Right. She's quite expressive. She's quite opinionated. She's, she's her own woman, which is exactly the opposite of how uh, they allow women to be in that country. So uh, I think in a wacky case scenario she may perceive herself to be in danger did she succumb to the pressure of um of organizations that uh that do their best to highlight the negativity that is uh happening in in a country like saudi arabia I, it can't be a bad thing that she's carefully reflected to uh, to pull out I, I don't think it, it can be bad because imagine the money that uh, she was offered to do the show in the first place so she's turning that down yeah, exactly. Because like, I'm sure they offered her a bucket load, especially to have someone of her caliber and standing and place in the world and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's probably a big reason why they were like, oh, look at us. We're not so you know restrictive as we used to be. We have Nicki Minaj. So they probably well, did. Well, exactly. So they'd be using her completely. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a thousand percent. So I think that I and it's funny because like I feel like I mean, I really do hope that she um, educated herself and it's not just some blanket statement. I mean, I love Nicki Minaj. I I think she's great in many regards. And I really hope that she did take the time to realize like this is a bad situation, not just not do it because it's bad for PR. You know what I mean? Like that was my. uh, No, I think she's fairly calculated with how she executes her PR, even even when it's over the top. I think uh, nothing is left to chance. And for something like this that, uh, that tackles a, a global issue that I can't imagine that, um, that uh, it, it's as lightly um, approached, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and when you consider it like that Mariah Carey has done it, uh, like actually gone through with it, um, who else? So Yeah, I wanted to bring that up, actually, because I saw the statement and I wanted to read you Mariah Carey's statement, which I believe was from earlier this year, because I think it was earlier this year uh, that she did that mm-hmm. performance. And so part of her statement says, um, presented with the offer to perform for an international and mixed gender audience in Saudi Arabia, Mariah accepted the opportunity as a positive step towards the dissolution of gender segregation. What's your thoughts on that? Because like, I see her point, but also, is it really doing anything? You know what I mean? Well, exactly. And on paper, yes, there's, it's a mixed audience, but the breakdown of the crowd, as is indicated by uh, the human rights groups, is that, you know, men on one side, women on the other, and don't think it's a night out on the town, ladies, still be completely covered up. It, this is how they're, they're uh, describing the situation. And I mean, beyond that, that, um, that these women had to be accompanied by a male uh, guardian or what have you, and prior to that, had to get permission from the male in their household. So it's one thing to say that it's a mixed audience, but there's a whole ripple effect 
backwards that would have got that audience there in the first place. That's not necessarily as uh, as easily described. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, and I haven't had a chance to sort of see all the different sides when it comes to male artists. But again, like, uh, you know, Nicki Minaj was called out by organizations saying, how can you dare perform there, basically? Uh, I, I remember mm-hmm. reading one statement or one sentence that said something like, she performs at Pride one week, how can she go perform down there the next? And so, right. yeah, and then and then obviously Mariah did what she did where she chose to go through with it. But then, like, I was reading that there's other artists, male artists, like Steve Aoki and Liam Payne, formerly of One Direction. Uh, I'm not sure if they're performing this year or if it was last year that they performed, but they have performed there. And so I'm wondering if they're being called out because they should be helping to represent women and say, you know what, I know they're offering me bucket loads of money, but I'm not going to go to help change things. Because I think we need their support. Well, oh, well, totally. And it would make sense. I think whatever, uh, whatever your gender to look at a situation that's wrong is wrong. Yeah. Right. It, it's uh, so, yeah, they totally should have uh, at least been suggested that they not do those shows. That doesn't make the news though. A man going to make money doesn't make news. Yeah. And I'm not trying, I'm not trying to sound any, any, uh, any more, any other, any particular way. I'm not trying to overly feminize or underly feminize it's just a sad state of reality that, well, you know, of course, it's no big deal that a man did the show. It would have been a big deal if a man d- overtly did not do the show. Yeah. That would have made news if they had outwardly said, no, I am not doing it because of this, this, and this. Yeah. Yeah. But that they did it or have done it or will do it. He's like, oh, well, he's going to make, he's going to earn a living or he's got to do it somehow. Or it, ha- it has to be a, it has to be a bigger statement for the woman somehow and which is too bad because it's a bit uh it's a bit slow on the uptake oh yeah for our society at this point to not recognize that you can just do what's right and back to nikki for just a sec now obviously this is making news around the world that she has decided to pull out of the saudi arabia festival um but do you think it's actually going to have far-reaching impact or is it too is she not like is she enough you know what i mean like mariah carey was enough to just go ahead and do it and it didn't seem to matter you know what i mean like and now she's not going to do it is it going to matter um, you know what? I think if it matters to her, then it, that it will matter to her fans, the people that appreciate the art that she creates and, and support it. So maybe she goes on to suggest to one of her, uh, musical colleagues that they not do it either. Yeah. And on a, on a having to earn a living level, you think that's it's a lot to turn away because mm-hmm. they're not going to treat. I, I mean, I I say crazy case scenario when an artist might be in danger, nothing's going to happen to them. They're going to do their best to make sure that they have the most positive experience because that you know countries like that want to make make it seem like everything's fine. I don't know what everybody's talking about. If yeah. we treat our people well, look, they're at a show with Mariah Carey or Nicki Minaj. It's great here. So. I think it, it it speaks very highly of her character to have made a decision um, that she seems to be inf- have informed herself on and uh, and stuck with it. And I hope more of them step up like she has. And like, I actually it was funny because I hadn't heard about the Mariah Carey situation and I was saddened that she kind of went through with it. Like I, again, I see her statement. I see her side of it. But again, like you pointed mm-hmm. out, Yes, there was, you know, male and female in that audience. But like you said, there was severe restrictions under those females that were in that audience. Presuming that, uh, you know, what we're told is is true. And I, why, you know, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm trusting that the human rights organizations have really done their homework to to make it um, to educate us on a on 
on a fair level. And I say fair level, the situation doesn't sound fair at all, mm-hmm. but the information that we're getting is, uh, is documented properly. Sherelle, um, oh, and yeah, I think it's also a tall order that uh, a pop star, not to diminish with that, uh, with that tone, what they do or the art that they create, it is a tall order for a, uh, a pop star to have to be the, the one to, um, you know, stand up like that when mm-hmm. there's, when there's governments that, that won't necessarily stand up like that. And the, further to the Mariah thing, some of the organizations at the time were suggesting that if you're going to do the show, then maybe you can use it to, as a conditional uh, tool to, to maybe have the human rights acti- activists that are uh, imprisoned there released. You know, I'll perform if you release those people. That Which, again, good. further to my claim that it's a tall order for a pop star to have to be the bargaining chip for uh, something that's so severe on such a huge level for the pop star to be able to do that where the governments aren't able to execute that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, it's not an easily solvable problem, I guess, but it feels like if enough people put their heads together, it could be. Because I do think, you know, the pop stars, should they band together, they are a huge influence over there because I think a lot of people over there have this... Um, huge affection or infatuation with American pop culture. So, uh, cause it represents freedom of choice and yeah. everything that comes along with having that freedom that they don't have. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sharon, thank you for this as always. Thank you. That is our music editor, Sharon Hyland. Don't forget that uh, Sharon and I both co-host another podcast together called nineties now, and you can find it on all your major podcast platforms. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. We can blow off all the plants, our friends will understand. I'm just saying, ain't no reason we gotta stay. We could take that too Time for a look at some new music. Canadian artist Genevieve Fisher, who hails from Ontario, has been racking up some serious music credentials over the last few years since graduating from Western University's Faculty of Music in 2014. Her brand new song, which you're hearing now, is called Out of Towners, which was recorded and produced in Nashville. I think Genevieve has a great sound. If she keeps pushing, this lady is definitely going to the next level. So I lost my mind when I found out that R&B superstar Brandy had teamed up with Canadian R&B superstar Daniel Caesar on the song you're hearing now called Love Again. They released this song last week. Fans went nuts. So happy to have Brandy back again with some new music. Daniel has just released his new album called Case Study 01 and Brandy is working on a new album which is going to drop later this year. And just so you know, Brandy has sold over 40 million records worldwide. She's won a ton of awards, including a Grammy, an American Music Award, and seven Billboard Music Awards. about this this is new ed sheeran ed like you've never heard him before the song is called blow which also features country artist chris stapleton and pop megastar bruno mars this song to me is absolutely phenomenal you've got to add it to any playlist especially if you need some octane at the gym ed's new album by the way called number six collaborations project drops on the 12th of july new music on the kelly alexander show 
Don't forget that you can subscribe to our show on all the major podcast platforms like Stitcher Radio, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Joining us on the show is Tim Chasen, who happens to be the singer and fiddler in the Juno Award-winning band, The East Pointers, who are based in Prince Edward Island. The band has played over 450 shows in countries like Australia, Japan, New Zealand, Mexico, the U.S., and Canada, and they've just released their new single called Wintergreen. Tim, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Kelly. How are you doing? I am fantastic. And my big question to start things off, I guess, would would be, how did you and your other band members, Cody and Jake, come together to form uh, the East Pointers? Okay, well, it's it's a bit of a long story, but I'll do a short version. It's basically Cody and I are first cousins, and we grew up kind of playing music together uh, since we were, I, I don't know, God, I don't even know how old we were, but very, very young uh, on PEI. And Jake is actually from Ontario. Um, and we met him kind of through just like the music scene over the years and probably when we were in our early twenties and, uh, and we were just kind of all into the same bands and same music and, you know, tread music and pop music and rock music and country, kind of everything. And, um, but I think our common love was for traditional music and, and that's how the band started, um, initially. And then we decided to, uh, yeah, we decided to form a band. We kind of joked and the three of us met, it was like, we all uh, clicked so instantly. I think Cody met Jake first and he was like, you got to meet this guy because it's like, he's literally like as if we had grown up with him since we were kids. Cause we, Cody and I come from a big family here um, on PEI and, and yeah, sorry, I'm making it a long story, but it's, <laughs> that's basically how it all came together. And, and one night we, we met and we probably drank too much and, and played music all night. And it was like, Oh, someday we'll start a band whenever we're, you know, all able to. And we joked about it for a long time. And then, I don't know, it was about five years ago that we were like, let's let's give this a go. Like, it's, it's too fun not to do. Like, we were just kind of playing tunes and writing songs. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how, it, in a nutshell, how it came together. Now, is there a story behind the name, the East Pointers? Like, how did you guys come to that? You know what? There's nothing really uh, spectacular about the story. It's just, um, actually, East Point is a, a little community. It's the very eastern tip of PEI. It's really close to where, um, where Cody and I are from. And... Uh, I was just like, oh, let's call the band the East Pointers. And like, we didn't even think we were really going to do anything with the band at that point. And, uh, and Cody was also a lobster fisherman for a long time and he, uh, he fished off at East Point. Um, so that was, that's basically the, uh, yeah, the story behind it. Now, how would you categorize your music? Cause I know that you said, uh, earlier that you, you enjoy traditional and that's kind of where your, your focus is, but do you bring other flavors to the party? Yeah, basically like we, um, like we all kind of grew up with a common like thread of, of traditional music, like, um, you know, like that Irish and Scottish, uh, descent and, and, uh, and especially like on PEI on the East coast, there's like, there's French and there's, um, like a lot of Celtic, um, backgrounds here. And I know all through Canada, that's kind of the same, the same deal, but it's, it seems like it's strongly rooted out here. And, uh, so that, that was kind of, like I said, like our first common love, but I, uh, have been writing songs since, for, since as long as I can remember as well. And, um, and I think when we formed the band, we kind of, our, our goal was to like almost bridge that gap that, um, between traditional music and, and like kind of contemporary music that we, that we love and, and dance music. So it's like, um, yeah, it's kind of a mixture of almost like, like kind of like pop songs, but like we, it's, you know, traditional instrumentation, but we also bring in like, some bass synthesizers and keyboards and um, percussion, um, basically just to make a big dance party at our show. So 
that's the that's the end goal. <laughs> Talk to us about being from PEI and the fact that like I've you know I've heard before and I've had a lot of artists on the show that are from Halifax and I know mm-hmm. that there is like quite the booming scene in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, yeah. How is it in PEI? Because I know it's obviously a, a smaller place. Do you guys have to go to Halifax to get more notice? Like how does that all work out? Yeah, you know what PEI in the last number of years, like I think probably in the last ten years is like really the music scene has like I would say really taken off and. Um, it's kind of one of those things, I think a big part of it was, there's always a scene here, but I think a big part has to do with the Music PEI Association that they formed probably about 10 years ago or maybe 15. And uh, it kind of gives that platform for PEI artists to, um, you know, they put on showcases for international delegates and all this kind of stuff. So um, it really just provides that bit of like business push for PEI artists, but there's always been like a thriving scene with songwriters and and uh, and players and, and the thing that you'll find when you come to PEI is like you could go to like this you know out in the middle of nowhere like a a barn where there's songwriters playing and you're like oh my god that's like the best song I've ever heard and but he this person or he or she may not have any desire to tour or anything so there's a lot of like hidden gems in the, in the music scene on PEI that just play at little venues around PEI and don't tour but. Um, but in more recent years, there have been like we bumped into lots of PEI um, bands like um, that are playing festivals internationally, which is um, which is super cool. And it's it's yeah, just not everyone I guess decides or even thinks of oh maybe I should tour this musical project because it's just in them and they just do it because it's part of the culture. Joining us on the show is Tim from the East Pointers. You can check out their website for all of their social media handles and, of course, upcoming shows. It's eastpointers.ca. Tim, talk to us about Wintergreen, uh, the new release. You know, what is it about? Was it uh, a challenging song to put together? Yeah, well, I think um, Wintergreen to us uh, is a bit of a positive message in a way because it's um, we were actually, um, we wrote the song with Colin McDonald, who's a really great friend of ours, and he's a, uh, He's actually the lead singer in The Trues, and we go way back, and um, we we're, we were talking when even in, like, uh, Cody, who's my cousin in the band, is uh, is bipolar, and, it, and, and one of those things that has kind of come up throughout our music, and he, we were just discussing, like, you know, the highs and lows, and, and having someone be there for you through everything, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, those, you know, as extreme as that, or whatever the case may be, but um, just with someone that you love like maybe just telling them more often that I you know I love you through anything kind of thing and um and through the ups and the downs and and whatever it may be and and I remember when Cody took uh Cody plays a banjo and he had this little riff and I was like that's such a great little um riff in like six eight time and it, and it sounds so happy I was like we have to we have to write like a you know an upbeat song to that and then end up being uh one of our favorites and and, and actually our first uh actually our first single that's going to be on our new record that comes out this fall. So we're, uh, yeah, we're excited about this one. And we just basically just hope people like it and they, and they take it for what it's, for what it's worth. So you mentioned the new album, it's called Yours to Break. I know it's coming out this fall. Uh, how did that, like, is the, is the recording process done? What's going on? Where are you at with the, the project itself? Yeah, it's all, uh, it's all mixed and mastered right now currently. And, uh, yeah, so our first single comes out on, on Friday the 12th. And, um, and we, uh, yeah, basically everything's done, all the artwork and all that kind of stuff. So we're we're our tour is happening um, in the fall, and it's it's basically once we hit the road, we're kind of um, on the road for for a while, uh, which is exciting because it's all brings us to all these different countries and and places. And 
yeah, we're just excited to get out new material and also we've exper- experimented a lot with different sounds in this album and um and and we're just kind of excited to see how it all goes live really so yeah let's chat a little bit about the touring because you know i i've interviewed i've been fortunate to interview so many canadian bands or artists and and a lot of them stick to uh touring at home but then when i read in your notes that you guys have been to all these crazy countries across the oceans and all that sort of stuff uh talk to us about like who books those things and like is it been a conscious effort for you to make sure that you're getting to other countries yeah, I, I think from the get-go, we like um, we had all played in different projects before the East Pointers, and we and we had done international touring with uh, with those projects. And uh, I think when we started the band, we had an opportunity to go to Australia through um, through a connection that some of us had had before, and and we it was really brand new for us. So we we had gone to Australia and um, and had this tour booked, and then um, it went really really well, and we were it was kind of one of those things that were like, Oh, this went way better than we ever thought it could have. So, um, you know, and then when we never, we met an agent from the UK, for example, and, and, uh, they wanted to bring us there and we were totally down for that. And, and that went really well as well. So it just kind of spiraled into, um, you know, getting an agent basically in, in each country, like uh, United States, obviously in, uh, Japan, um, and in Europe as well. So it's, it's kind of like circulating those um, those different places, and and as it kind of grew internationally, we actually didn't play Canada that much in the very beginning, and and then when you come back home to tour, it's uh, it's nice to almost have a bit of a um, a bit of a head, not a head start, but a bit of a uh, following in a way before you kind of grind the gears like driving across Canada, <laughs> which we've done many times in, in many different projects, but. Um, but yeah, it's it yeah it kind of just all happened uh, it, that way, I guess, organically. And I wanted to ask you this as well. Uh, being a Canadian band, it's funny because I'm you know I think a lot of us Canadians are always excited when we have like a British band come over to wherever mm. you know you may live. I'm, I'm assuming you get that same reaction when you go to Australia or you go to Japan or you go to like Ireland. Like they must be thinking like, oh, this is cool. Some Canadians are coming. You know, a hundred percent, and it's uh, you. You kind of feel a bit exotic sometimes when you <laughs> when you don't at home, and, and especially when you say you're from Prince Edward Island, and, and nobody has a clue, unless they are a fan of Anne of Green Gables, of course. Which um, I didn't realize how how big of a deal Anne of Green Gables was. But um, yeah, it's it is it, it is interesting, and, and maybe that has something to do with the fact that we play a bit of like um, the. The, the music that has, you know, stemmed back, you know, a couple of hundred years in, on the East Coast and, and has changed since it has come across the water um, and, is, and is kind of like adapted regionally to, you know, uh, specifically to like uh, Nova Scotia and, and PEI. And then, and then growing that music as being part of the tradition of that music is, um, is something that we kind of set out to do as well. And it's, it's neat to bring that uniqueness, I guess, to the to the world in, in a way because it's um yeah because it is a bit unique to, to this area of, of the country for sure and just back to canada for a second when you uh do head out across canada especially in, in this particular group the east pointers um being from the east coast do you find it challenging for uh a, like a brand awareness of, of you guys across the country or do you think like you know it's it's a welcoming situation if you go to ontario and they're like oh you guys are from pi like we're, we're excited especially about the type of music that you play yeah, you know what? It is interesting. We actually were talking about that not long ago because um, because the East Coast is in, branded, I guess you could say, in in such a way that 
uh, a, like we like to drink a lot and B, we play like fiddle music. Uh, it's pretty true. Like for the most part, it's like you come here and yeah, that's kind of the way it rolls on the East coast. And, um, and people tend to kind of think that you're a nice person, which is also a nice thing too. Um, but it is very laid back out here in, in many ways. Um, and I think, yeah, it is kind of, it, it is funny when we, when you travel, that's kind of the, one of the first things that, oh, you're from the, the East Coast. And, and sometimes people will be like, oh, you're from Newfoundland. It's like, no, we're not from Newfoundland, we're from PEI. But uh, people kind of group the four, you know, the, the Atlantic provinces together. But, um, and that's fine because it's, uh, it just obviously makes sense being out East. But um, yeah, you definitely, you get up to that, like get that a bit, which is, which is totally fine with us. And, and our goal is just to kind of bring that music a little bit further. So. And and speaking yeah. of your your genre of music with like the Celtic undertones and all that sort of stuff, um, do you find that it's almost like because like a lot of people have loved this music obviously for centuries, and then I mm. think for a while that there was this perception of like uh, it's like for old people, but now yeah. like you guys are not clearly anywhere near retirement age, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so do you find yeah. there's like a I don't even know if the right word is resurgence, but like do you find like it's like you're hitting your stride for sure, like bands like yourself and and maybe other contemporary bands that are playing the music that you're playing. Yeah, no, it's true. Like I like as a teenager, I remember being like I was lucky enough that I had older brothers and, and sisters that that played like the fiddle and and step danced and and all that kind of thing. That whereas like my oldest siblings who were about like twelve years older than me, um, whenever they're in high school, they quit playing because it like it wasn't cool to play this style of music and like it was it really was for older like older people. And you'd go to you know Kaylee's or square dances, and it was just older people, but. Um, it's actually really interesting right now. Um, I mean, we stuck with the music and I, I remember being a teenager and being like, I don't know if this is, you know, the coolest thing to do, but there was a bit of a, a resurgence. I feel like at that, at that point with, um, you know, even just as an example, like maybe someone like Ashlyn McIsaac or Natalie McMaster, who were like kind of young and cool, who were playing trad, trad music and, and bringing that to a wider audience. But, um, yeah, like it is interesting now because there's a resurgence of even square dancing on the East Coast where you'll go to square dance like at a craft brewery. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's all like mostly a lot of young people that are there like, you know, dancing all night and it's, and drinking good beer. And it's like a bit bizarre, but it's also like that's how it was. Like that burn dance vibe that was, you know, very thriving like in the, um, you know, 70s and, and 80s on um, with like younger people has kind of come back around again. And, uh, it's, it's really cool to see. And we also run a festival, um, that our grandfather started. It's called the Robo Bay Fiddle Festival. And he started it because there was like a dying out of music and it's going into 43 years, actually next two weekends from now. And, uh, and we took it over like Cody Jake and I, and a few of our cousins, um, took it over and that's a whole other story in itself. But, um, but just to keep that music alive and kind of keep that culture of getting together and, and jamming and, and dancing and, and just enjoying the music because it's, uh, it really is a special kind of thing that a lot of people can relate to and it's meant to dance and get you through hard times and all that. So, um, yeah, it's neat to see that resurgence coming back for sure. Tim, it's been so awesome to have you on the show and I love that we've sort of been able to talk about this type of music and how it is like having this resurgence and, and being exciting for lots of people around the world. I think it's fantastic. And uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime. Oh, thank you very much for, uh, for listening. <laughs>
The Kelly Alexander Show. That's lead singer and fiddler Tim Chasen from the East Pointers. Check out their website for their social media handles and upcoming shows, eastpointers.ca. Well, thank you so much, as always, for spending time with us on the program. We always appreciate it. A big shout out to our guests, Carly Heffernan, Sharon Hyland, and Tim Chasen. My thanks, of course, to our super producer, Adam Brisson, for pushing all the right buttons. And don't forget that you can grab us all the time on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to check out our interviews on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kelly Alexander Show. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.